Thank you for your prayers for us last Sunday. It meant a lot, and everybody's doing better. But Sarah has a story to tell you about last Saturday morning, some healing that the Lord did in her. And so if you would welcome Sarah, please. Hello. It started the Wednesday before of that week. Mitch had told me about an article that Lou Engle sent out asking people, specifically women, to fast for our country, for protection over our president, and just the, the heart attitude, really, of our, our nation and where we're headed. And, I, and Mitch said, oh, I'm going to do this fast. And I said, well, I want to do it, too. It's been something really heavy on my heart just watching what's been going on in our culture, in our country, especially since the election. It's been heartbreaking. I've never felt more embarrassed to be a woman, actually. And so I said, well, I'm on board. It starts Wednesday night at 6 through Saturday night at 6, three days. It was supposed to be an Esther fast, which was praying for salvation and our nation and protection. So I've fasted before. I know it a lot of times comes with a headache and not feeling very good. It's not really a fun experience. So I was prepared for that. So we had dinner at 5 so we could eat our last supper. Well, within like two hours, I had a sore throat, the beginnings of a sinus infection, and a headache. I thought, hmm. I thought, this is probably just a test. I'm not going to just quit because I feel this horrible. So I just kept drinking the next day, kept drinking, sore throat, horrible, headache, getting worse, feeling awful. Okay, this is only three days. I can stick this out. Friday, I was so miserable. The the stomach thing started then Friday. Mitch had had stomach flu, I think, Monday and Tuesday. And I thought, you know, thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get that. I'm not even eating. So I'm in horrible pain with only juice or only water and tea and so weak from, you know, no nutrition and fighting sickness, thinking, what was the point of this fast? I'm just trying to survive. And it was probably 11 or midnight-ish before that nausea pain went away. And Mitch, of course, had been praying. We'd been praying together. That kind of ended Friday, and he was just praying for me. And I couldn't even eat if I wanted to at this point. By 12.30, I still hadn't fallen asleep. The headache pain was so bad from sinus in the front, and I don't know what was going on in the back. At one point, I envisioned a snake coiled around my neck. I thought, okay, is this something spiritual? I'm needing to get off of me. I don't know what's going on. And so I, I texted him. He was actually sleeping in the basement can you please come up and work on my neck? It was just so bad. Well, then he starts working on my neck. I'm like, please don't even touch me. It just hurts. It's too much. I can't even handle it. It's not even helping. So then we both go back to bed. At 2.30, did I text you? I don't even remember why you came up, but you maybe knew I was still awake, hadn't fallen asleep. And Mitch hadn't gone to sleep either. I think he was down there trying to pray for me. And he came up, and at that point, he was so mad at what was going on, he was like, damning this thing. He was so angry, like, get out of my wife's body. So I don't know what time I did finally doze off, which normally, you know, I'm familiar with headaches. I've had some horrible headaches, like want to chop my head off kind of headaches. This one, it, it will go on the top for me. So, you know, I finally doze off, but it didn't, 
relieve it to fall asleep. It would just turn over and more pain. And it was absolutely agony. And I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. I'm picturing myself, Mitch, having to drive me to the ER to get on IV fluids and have some kind of a shot. Well, so Friday morning comes in. I thought it was around 6 or so, maybe a little after. And he, I know he's hoping that I'm going to tell him I'm better, and I'm not. It was still horrible. And so he just left, <laughs> and I'm laying there on the bed. And, and just not sure how this is going to end. And then I knock on the wall so he hears me and comes back in the room. And I just said, will you please pray for me? He said, I've been praying for you all night. So he leans down by the bed, and I don't even remember exactly what he prayed. It was more tender than the night before. <laughs> I think he was, he told, what did you tell me? That it was the most faithless prayer you've ever prayed. <laughs> he spoke the right things, but there was nothing. And then he leaves, and I just lay there and decide, I guess I'm just going to go get in the shower. I can't lay here all day in pain. I'll try to move. My thought is when I stand up, I'm going to receive what he prayed over me. And so then this thought pattern continues. As I'm walking to the bathroom, I thought, yeah, he has authority over me. He's my husband. I'm going to receive what he prayed for me. And then I get in the bathroom, and the thought process continues. Oh, I guess I need to be completely under his authority to receive what he prayed for me. And I wasn't thinking of anything necessarily specific that I wasn't under my husband's authority, but I felt like I needed to declare it. Like, okay. So I just opened my hands and tears streaming down my face. God, I just, I receive all of my husband's authority over me. I come under his authority and I just prayed this over and over. And then things started coming. Like, I receive his authority over our finances, over my body, over our children. In every area of my life, I just, I receive his authority that's that's right and godly. I just I realized I couldn't receive his prayer if I had not completely given over myself. So as I'm praying this and just speaking this out loud, I realized the pain in the back of my head had lifted. Like it was gone and hadn't been gone for 3 days. I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." And I got in the shower, and I'm trying really hard not to even, like, lift my arms to wash my hair. Because I didn't want it, you know, how <laughs> I didn't want it to go away. I wanted this pain to still be gone. Well, it was. It was just gone. And I was weak, and it took me, I mean, I feel like I've been recovering all week. I was absolutely exhausted and needed some restoration. But that headache left immediately when I, I just said, oh, it's just that simple. I come under my husband's authority, and he took authority over this, so it's mine. It was that easy. Of course, I didn't know it was that easy. It was pretty hard for a while. One of the thoughts I had afterward was that it, it wasn't that God didn't want Mitch's prayer to work. It's that I had to be positioned correctly to receive it. Again, I don't know. The Lord wasn't rebuking me for anything or but it was like he was showing me how to position myself and that it really is important. And then that the fast, I, I did end up finishing the fast. I just drank until Saturday night, finished it. Yes, <laughs> I really, it was a big deal to me. 
And it did relate. Everything that happened to me, I really feel like related to what I was fasting about because we as a culture, especially women, have thrown off authority. We've just totally despised it and rejected it. And it's actually God's design for our protection and our everything that we need. We're, we're, we're meant to be under authority. He commanded that, and we've, we've lost it, ladies. So I, I really feel like he put me in that place of intercession. Like, I really had to go down low for him to show me what he wanted to show me about authority. So as funny as I feel up here telling you all of this, that's what happened. And if we want to receive from God, being under authority is a major key. So this is the scripture about the centurion. Now, when, a, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is si- lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So I, I was just overwhelmed that it was, it was faith for me to come under authority. And it was not only the submission or coming under authority, it was the honor. I, I really felt honor for Mitch when I was praying. Like I, It wasn't like, oh, I'm just praying this so I can get healed. It was real inside of my heart. And look at what he says here. Lord, I am not worthy that I should, you should come under my roof. I just... That is such honor. Like, I am I'm nothing, and I, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. The honor that this man showed. It wasn't just that he understood authority. It was that he honored his authority and who he was. So it's all yours. So we both had quite a shock when that happened. Because like she told you, at 1230 at night, and I prayed my best prayer, and I was asking God, and I was speaking the word of God over her, and I was commanding this thing to leave, and 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 it didn't happen. And then at two thirty, I was really angry. I, you know, I, I even cussed, not at God or her, just like you, goddamn thing, get out of her body. I was so mad, and it didn't happen. And then so yeah, seven or seven thirty in the morning, and. I was, I had no faith left. (laughs) Like I, I don't, I, why are we even, why are we even uh, addressing this? And again, it wasn't that my prayers weren't right or weren't going to work. And it certainly, like she said, it wasn't that God had to rebuke her or correct her. It was just that God had a lesson for both of us in this. I could see on her face that the pain was gone when, when she got out of the shower, she was still hurting and very weak, but the head, the the active pain was gone. Like I said, it was quite a shocking lesson because the it was a million miles from my head when I am praying for her that oh if she would just submit to me she would be healed. I'd never dreamed of thinking 
that. I ne- I, nothing in my prayers was about domination or control or manipulation or power over her. It, I, was, I was hurting for her. It was horrible to watch her in such agony. She thought she was going blind at one point. It hurt so bad. And there was nothing in my thoughts about domination or, or she should just submit. But the Lord had, had something to show both of us. So I didn't plan to do this this morning, but the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night this earlier this week and said, have Sarah tell that story and then give your people some scriptures. And so I want to ask you this morning, what about you and me? What is your relationship with me? I'm your pastor. That word means shepherd. I'm your shepherd. You're my sheep. What does that relationship look like? What does the centurion mean and what does Jesus mean in Matthew 8 when he says to be under authority? Because that's where the power is. That's where healing comes. Jesus said, I, this is the greatest faith. I have not seen greater faith than this. So, so what does that mean? What does it look like in a heavenly kingdom? Your relationship with me is very different than Sarah's. We're, you and I are not in a life and death covenant, you know, till death do us part kind of thing. Sarah and I are. I own her and she owns me. And, and I don't own you and you don't own me. Okay, I understand that this is, this is different. Our relationship may be temporary. Okay? I may get called on somewhere else, and you may move on somewhere else. Uh, so it's not the same thing, but the story of the centurion and Jesus is not about a husband and wife. It's about being under Jesus' authority so that his power can work. Are you with me? Whatever your relationship with me is as your pastor, it's voluntary and free on your part. Any pastor that tries to force that relationship, it gets real gross real fast. Okay? It just, it does. I know probably most of us have experienced something bad in that regard. Our relationship is is voluntary on your part. It's free on your part. It may be somewhat temporary or it may be lifelong. I don't know. It's got to be based on trust and love, never on forcing the authority. And because of that, you haven't heard me talk about this while I've been pastor. Those of you who were in the church before I was the pastor, you heard me preach on this often and loudly. I had read Undercover by John Bevere, and it was my revelation, and I told it to you a lot because I was preaching it for Pastor Dwayne, or I was preaching it for Pastor Tom. And I was excited about it, and I loved it. And then I became pastor, and it is super uncomfortable to stand up here and say this stuff. I do not, I do not like it. It's not comfortable at all. So for nine years, you have not heard a peep out of me about this, although it used to be my main topic. When I wasn't the pastor, I was happy to preach it. But the Lord told me to say it this morning, and Sarah and Josh have approved it, so... So I just, I have this question for you. What is our relationship? What is, 
anybody's relationship with any pastor. What's that supposed to be biblically? What, what is that? Well, Jesus defined it. In John 13, 20, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts my messenger accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Another translation says, most emphatically, I tell you. Jesus really, really wants us to understand this. Most emphatically, I tell you. He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. The kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. We have subconscious democratic ideas that transfer over into our faith that we think we have an automatic hotline to Jesus individually. And the individual priesthood of the believer is a cardinal doctrine of the evangelical Protestant church. It's like, I don't need a priest. I have my own faith and I have my the Holy Spirit in me and I don't need a teacher. I don't need a priest. That is a cardinal doctrine of Protestantism. But Chris Vallotton points out that if you'll think about it, the Protestants are the most fractured, divisive, rebellious, independent, unleadable group in the world. Are we not? I mean, we can agree on 87 things, but if there's two doctrines we disagree about, I'm going to go start a new group. The word Protestant means protest. We are protesters. In comparison, the Catholic Church is quite unified because they recognize a chain of command. This is Chris Valentin. The Catholic Church is quite unified because they realize I am, I'm not on my own. I have authority over me, like the centurion. There is coming a very, very public split in the Catholic Church. As the liberals lead them away from Jesus, those who are truly born again are going to have to make a decision. Uh, and it's happening in Episcopal and Presbyterian and Lutheran churches also. But the, the Catholic Church is is not as unified as it presents. But on a whole, they are. They realize, I'm covered by the church. So, yes, you have your own faith, and you have your own brain, and you have your own, you have the Bible as well as anybody else, and, and you are free to interpret that and, and believe it. But Jesus said, if you want to receive me, you have to receive the people I send to you. This is really uncomfortable because I don't have any agenda in saying these things, which means it's a good time to do it because I'm not preaching at anybody through the corner of my mouth. Like, oh, you really need to hear this. I'm not, I'm not here to do that this morning. I'm just here to say that, that for now, I'm the one who's sent here to do this job. And I don't know if I'll be pastor here for five or 35 more years. I don't know if you will be here for five or 35 more years. But for right now, here we are. I'm your shepherd and you are my sheep. A large portion of what Jesus has for you is going to come through me. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Please believe me, I have no agenda in saying this other than teaching you scripture. And what I want is the same thing I wanted for Sarah. I want you to be healed. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have the answer to your prayers. I know that you have other authors and, and teachers and pastors that you love. I know you've had past pastors that you have fond memories of and love, and I'm not competing with any of that. I realize that, again, our relationship may be somewhat temporary, but for now, if you're, this is your home church, you're under my covering. And 
I'm your shepherd and you're my sheep. I'm a man under authority and you're under my authority. In no way am I the church dictator. I, we have a board of elders that I'm accountable to, but, but I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm your pastor. I'm the one who's in charge of loving you and leading you. And that's really what it's, it's all about. It's not about exercising control or domination. It's not at all. My heart was breaking for Sarah. It was horrible to watch her in such pain. And all I wanted was to figure out how to break through in that. And that's really all I want this morning is for you to have your prayers answered and have what you need. I don't think I'm God's gift to the the church at large. I have no authority over any believers outside of this church family. I don't go to Faith Center and New Hope and say, I'm sent by God, you need to listen to me. I don't have any authority there. But I do here. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you've got a lot of other teachers that you listen to, but nobody has more right to tell you what to, to do than I do because I've served you the most. That's in 1 Corinthians. There have been those who've come through the church who have not received me. They didn't like me, and quite frankly, I didn't like them either. It was mutual. They don't tend to stick around very long. I realize that I am not in any way a perfect pastor. I'm not the pastor that's supposed to everybody's supposed to love, and this is not a church that everybody's going to be a, a good fit in. I, I totally get that. That's, that's fine. But I've had a few people who were here and this is their home church and they knew it and I knew it and God knew it and they were just not going to receive it. And they just didn't like me. And they saw a man who was flawed and they were not willing to receive what I said and did as Jesus. And I know that you see my faults. I know you see faults in me that I am even unaware of. I know that you know me well. You know that I'm socially awkward and disorganized and I get anxious and stressed out and I'm not very prepared when I should be and I I eat too much and I'm not naturally thoughtful toward people. I I know you see all this. I know you know me. Some of you have known me for 18 years. Some of you have known Sarah since she was a little girl. I feel like a failure at this job way more often than I feel like a success. Way more often. I have more questions than answers. I know that some of you, we've been hunting together, we've been camping, we've cut firewood, we go motorcycle riding together, we work together. You've known us a long time, and you see it all. I've been warned by various pastors in different ways to not be friends with you. I've had numerous pastors tell me that, either in writing or in person. Do not make friends in your congregation. They will find your faults and they will slit your throat with it. Because it happens. A lot. Just so you know, I, I don't agree with that line of thinking. And that's not what I do. But I know why these guys warn me. Because it's happened to them. Because familiarity kills the anointing. It happened to Jesus when he went to his hometown in Nazareth. He came home and he had a message from God. And then he's like, yeah, we know this kid. He was in our son's class. We know his mom. We know his brothers and his sisters. Who is this punk that thinks he's speaking for God? And in Matthew 13, it says, they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. 
And he did not do many, mighty, did many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Another translation says he couldn't do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. And notice, nobody was talking about faith for actually having a miracle happen, but the, here's the word of God connecting faith with how people treated Jesus. With familiarity or honoring his anointing. Mark Barclay and John Bevere both have books about familiarity destroying the anointing. Kenneth Hagin has a story from when he was a pastor in the 1950s where he said he had a family in his church that was there. Every time the doors were open, they were faithful tithers. They were involved in the ministries. They did everything. And he said, in all my years of pastoring with them, and they'd come to me with a prayer request, and we would pray together, he said, I don't think God answered a single prayer, ever, never did I see an answer to any of their prayers. He said, I had another family in the same church who was uh, lived so far out in the sticks in Oklahoma that he said they were in church maybe once every other month. They didn't tithe. They were a moral mess. They were a relational mess. Lots of drama and trauma around their family. And he said, every single time they called and asked for prayer, God did what I prayed. He said, every single time. It was jaw-dropping. And I asked the Lord, why do you do things for this family over here that's a mess and hardly ever comes to church? And this other family that's faithful and they're there every week and every day and they're tithing and working and, why, and you don't answer their prayer. What's that? And he said that the Lord, this is in his book, he's writing this. He said the Lord led him to, to think. He said, he said think, remember how each family treats you. He said the family that was in church every week, he said when I went to their house, and I knocked on the door. Somebody would shout, come on in, the door's open. And the husband would be there with the TV on, and he'd just sit there, and he'd leave the TV on, and I would be trying to maybe have a conversation or pray with them, but he's kind of half paying attention to the TV. Honey, the pastor's here. And the kids were in and out, and, and nobody was concerned for anything that I was there to do. He said, the other family that I only saw every other month he said, when I pulled in their driveway, the whole family ran out the door and gathered around my car and brought me into the house and, and they, they would feed me lunch or, and they would, their parents would sit the, order the kids to sit down and you listen to what pastor has to say. This is his story, not mine, but he, he said that through that honor, even though they were a mess of a family, God answered their prayers. So I know that to some of you, I'm, I'm just the, your teacher. Others of you see me as a friend. Others of you, I'm maybe something of an authority in your life. Others, maybe I'm just an annoyance. You, know, you, you like other people at the church, but you just have to put up with me. Uh, some of you, I, I'm a scary person to avoid. Some of you want me to be a miracle worker. Others of you expect me to be a leader. I honestly don't know what I am or who I am. Josh and I are both still trying to figure that out. <laughs> what is our role? What, how do we fit in around here? 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't even know what that is, but whatever you think it is, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In Matthew 10.41, Jesus said, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. Another translation says, if you receive as a prophet, as a prophet you will receive that prophet's reward. So 
whatever you, you think I am or not, I am what I am and I can do what I can do and it's all I can do. But if you receive what I have for you as the word of the Lord, God has a reward for you. Sarah has been on the receiving end of all of my sins as a husband. But 19 years ago, we said for better or worse. It's been some better and a lot of worse. But for better or worse, I am her husband and God's going to give her a reward through me. So for better or worse, I am your pastor. I know I'm a failure a lot, but I'm the one here right now. And God has a reward for you that you need to receive, and it's going to come through me. Not everything, some of it. John Bevere has a story from when he was a youth pastor. He said a junior high boy asked him, will you be my friend? And he said, no, I won't be your friend. I'll be your youth pastor. He said, you've got a lot of friends. Do you have any other youth pastors besides me? No. He said, let me be your youth pastor. Let your friends be your friends. You make me your pastor. I'm friends with a lot of you, but my primary role is your pastor. Again, it's voluntary on your part, but my primary role is your pastor. First and foremost, your shepherd. Some of you need to know I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to serve Jesus. And Jesus' orders to me are to serve you, so that's what I do. All right? But I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to serve him. And I serve you at his command, not at your expectation. I know that hardly any of you mean anything by it, and you're even unaware, but I'm very aware when 250 people have even a half of an expectation, it really adds up on me. And I can only sanely do what Jesus tells me to do, not what 250 people want me to do. I'm supposed to be set apart for the word and prayer. I'm not supposed to be the church administrator. I'm not supposed to be the church property manager. I'm not supposed to be the church social activities director. I'm not even supposed to be really the church counselor. I'm here to serve Jesus, and I'm here to lead you in worship, and I'm here to shape your soul. I'm here to equip you, to coach you, to train you to have a successful life of faith. I'm here to love you in Jesus' name. That means as Jesus would love you, that's my job. And I don't claim to do that perfectly at all in any way. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Jesus' command to me is to be the servant of all. And I really honestly try to do that. Nothing I'm saying is about being the church dictator or having any control. I truly only want your success and your blessing. Psalm 33 is only three verses. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Of course the anointing comes from the beard. It's biblical. It's biblical. You see it right there. The anointing comes from the beard. Now the first time I heard this scripture, 
20 years ago or so in a tiny little black church in Kensett, Arkansas. There was, the, the whole building was probably not the size of our kids' classroom. And there were 15 of us white guys that went and joined this black church for a revival. And it was a men's meeting only on a Sunday afternoon. And a visiting pastor from West Africa came. And I'll never forget him. His accent was very thick and he was hard to understand. But he had more authority than anyone I had ever heard speak. Um, the, the building was not physically shaking, but the room was vibrating with the power and the authority of his voice. I, I, we had a great pastor who spoke with authority, but, oh, wow, this guy was, was rocking the building. And he, this was his passage that he preached on. I'll never forget it. It was so amazing. He just thundered, not necessarily loudly, just the power coming from his mouth. And he just thundered this. He said, God only anoints the head. He never anoints anything else. All anointing runs down from the top. If you want anointing, get under the authorities in your life and let it run down on you. It was so earth shattering. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. To dwell in unity is to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. As Aaron's head is anointed and it flows down from there. Well, who was Aaron? Aaron is the high priest. He's Moses' brother who was the high priest. But the New Testament says Jesus is our high priest. In fact, Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Jesus is the only anointed one. He's the only anointed one. The rest of us get what runs down off of him. Hello, come on. He's the one who's anointed with the Holy Spirit. All Holy Spirit runs down from him to those who are appointed to be his church leaders, his family leaders, his business leaders, his teachers, and his ministers. That's what the centurion meant about being under authority. This is what Jesus said was the greatest faith, to live in unity. And unity is not equality. Equality is from hell. That's why you hear a bunch of Satan's people shouting that word right now. Lucifer was thrown out of heaven because he protested for equality. He got Adam and Eve to sin for equality. And the Philippians 2 says that even though Jesus was equal to God, he did not think that that was something to go for. He let it go to live a submitted life. It's Philippians 2, 6 and 7, if you need to go look that up. When we live in unity, God commands a blessing. And that is all I want this morning is for you to have what you need, for you to have an answer to your prayer. It's all I wanted for Sarah. It is all I want for you. There's no other agenda in me saying any of this. When I was praying for desperately for Sarah, like I said, it was a million miles away. Like, oh, she just needed to submit to me. It was not the topic of thought at all. I just wanted her to be free from that hell of a headache. And I love you, and I want you to have what you need. I, want, I know lots of you need physical healing. You need repair in your marriage. You need an answer to a prayer for a job or finances. You need healing in your body. I don't think that this is the only answer to getting healing. I realize there's other reasons why it takes a while for prayers to be answered or why prayers aren't being answered. But Jesus said, this is the greatest faith. Trying to have faith for a miracle is not necessarily the answer. 
get under who you're supposed to be under. Maybe that's me. I don't know. I honestly do not know anybody that isn't. You know your own heart. But maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your boss that you are hard-hearted against. Get under whoever God has put you under and receive the anointing. Let it flow down on you. It's really all I want. So two caveats. I understand that this isn't the only thing that would be necessary to have your prayer answered or be healed. But Jesus said it is the greatest faith. And a second caveat is that I understand this is by faith. You're not putting your faith in Mitch Coaston. You're putting your faith in Jesus. I can't do anything. But he sent me here to be your shepherd. And I do have some authority to command things to happen. I realize that some of you have lived under some horrendous authorities in your past. Your parents or a bad pastor or a bad boss or an abusive husband or whatever the case may be in the past. And so this idea, this word even just terrifies you. And you just, no, no way. I'm not cracking that door. I say again, I'm not asking you to trust me. I promise you I will let you down. I promise you I will fail. You're trusting Jesus. Not me, not the elder board, you know, not even if it's your husband or your parents or whoever it is you need to trust. It's all faith. Like anything else in Christianity, it's faith. To let go of control and trust somebody else to be in charge, which is what salvation is. And as Sarah said, then it becomes really easy to receive. So I want to command a blessing on you this morning. I'm going to. You're my sheep. I love you. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to bless you. So I want you to just close your eyes, bow your head, and think about whatever you need. Some of you, it's physical healing. Some of you, it's marriage repair. Some of you, it's reconciled relationship with your parents or your kids. Some of you need a job really bad. Some of you need a financial miracle. Some of you need something else. I don't even know. Get in the right place in your own heart. I don't even know what that might be. Get yourself aligned with where God has put you in whatever station in life you're in. Maybe it's toward me or maybe it's toward another authority in your life. You younger folks that are still under mom and dad, repent of rebellion and resistance. Come under your parents' authority and God will answer your prayer. Whatever it is, you think on what you need and let's do this. Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name as the shepherd of these sheep. I thank you for each and every person that you have brought to this church family, that you have given me to care for. And in the name of Jesus, I bless each one. I say grace and peace to every body, mind, and spirit here this morning. Lord Jesus, I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us together and on each individual person. I ask for physical healing, 
I ask for restored relationship. I ask for freedom from anxiety and depression and fear. I ask for financial provision. I ask for job provision. I ask for answers to questions, for direction on decisions. I ask for healing for broken hearts. I ask you to fill up holes where they've lost something or someone. In the name of Jesus, I command a blessing on my people as we dwell together in unity, Lord. Bring freedom, bring healing, bring blessing, bring love, bring peace, bring joy, bring strength, bring purity. Pain, go in Jesus' name. Headaches, leave. Stomach pain, heartache, fear, go in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You are the one who paid for all of this with your blood on the cross. Thank you. It is your Holy Spirit that does this work. Our trust and our faith are in you, Lord, and not in man. But we are lying ourselves under the authorities that you've put in our lives so that we can receive you. We receive the ones you have sent to us. Lord, we praise you, we bless you, we thank you for every answered prayer right now. In Jesus' name.